morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Tuesday, June the 7th, and here are some of the stories we are covering for you this morning. Police in southwestern Nigeria investigate the massacre at a Catholic church that left at least 50 people dead. The attacks are always ferocious, very violent, because they want to instill fear in their victims. Boko Haram has penetrated states like Niger State and Kwara. And former Botswana President Ian Kama tells VOA that he has not received charges from the government, which wants him tried illegal possession of firearms. Well, when I left the country at the time, I had been invited by the former president of Nigeria, General Obasanjo, to come and meet him in South Africa. That was the reason why I crossed the border initially at that time. And Republic of Congo's president, Dennis Sasungweso, meets with his DRC counterpart, Felix Antoine Tshekedi, to help ease tensions between the DRC and Rwanda. We'll have those stories and more coming up right here on Debrick Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, police in southwestern Nigeria are investigating a massacre at a Catholic church Sunday. At least 50 people dead, that's according to media reports. Meanwhile, residents in the city of Owo have organized a blood drive to help the many people who were injured in the attack. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja in Nigeria. Ondo State resident Sunday Ajibola says he barely got any sleep and was up early Monday to continue his plea for blood donations at the Federal Medical Center in Owa, southwest Nigeria. The hospital is one of three that Ajibola says are collecting blood for people wounded in Sunday's shooting at St. Francis Catholic Church. Ajibola called for donations on social media soon after Sunday's attack and is helping to organize the blood drive. He says he gives donors directions and sometimes has to pick them up and take them to the hospital. The hospital attended this, but there's, there are shortages of blood, so we are trying to encourage people to donate. That's what we are doing. There are a lot of people that are wounded, kids, grown adults, and, and so on. There are about three hospitals in our land that are currently searching for blood. We are going to pick up some people now that are ready to donate blood. Ajibola could not say how many victims they were trying to save, but described the situation as overwhelming. A spokesperson from the local governor's office, Richard Olatunde, told French news agency AFP Monday that the attackers killed 21 people and injured others. However, media reports from our Monday quoted hospital staff as saying at least 50 were killed. No group has claimed responsibility for the attack. Residents initially blamed pastoralists who have come into conflict with local farmers. But on Monday, Muslim rights group Murik said elements of Boko Haram were responsible for the attack. Ishak Akintola is the director of Murik. It was the Boko Haram. We believe that um, the fact that they kidnapped some people after killing, you see, their attacks are always ferocious, very violent, because they want to instill fear in their victims. Boko Haram had penetrated states like Niger State and Kwara. And Kwara is very close to... On those the attack triggered widespread condemnations from state authorities, 
and the national government, including President Muhammad Buhari, who described it as, quote, heinous, end quote. The Christian Association of Nigeria can also condemn the attack. The Vatican Monday said Pope Francis was praying for the victims. Nigeria is struggling to contain an Islamist insurgency in the Northeast and a wave of criminal activity, especially kidnapping for ransom, mostly in the Northwest. In recent months, authorities have raised concerns that violence would spread to other parts of the country, but Ondo State was never one of the areas of concern. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. And a Nigerian Catholic priest was abducted from his rectory in the town of Obangede in central Kogi State over the weekend. That's according to the local Catholic diocese. It said that parishioners went to look for Father Christopher Itopa Onotu after waiting for him to conduct Pentecost Sunday Mass. The abduction occurred before a massacre at a Catholic church in the neighboring Ondo State on Sunday. There were no suggestion of a link between the two incidents. In Botswana, the government wants former President Ian Kama to be extradited to face trial for illegal possession of firearms. Kama left the country in October, saying that he feared for his life. However, when VOS Peter Cloti reached Mr. Kama at his home in South Africa, the former leader said that he had not yet been formally charged by the government. The first thing I would say to you is that I'm not aware of the, the charges. I was just going to say, usually, if that is going to happen in a normal country, which Botswana no longer is, you would have served with um, whoever you wanted to do that to with those charges, and I have not received anything of that nature. But what about reports that they want you to return to Habaroni? Oh, yes, they, that is very true. They've been trying to do that for, uh, for some time now, and the whole intention is to carry out the threat to life that I think I once spoke to you about. I'm sure you've heard reports that you were charged with an unlawful possession of firearms, among others. Some people are saying that you have become a fugitive of justice, and that is why you absconded and left the country. So basically, you've become a fugitive of justice. Your response to that? Well, when I left the country at the time, I had been invited by the former president of Nigeria, General Obasanjo, to come and meet him in South Africa. That was the reason why I crossed the border initially at that time, uh, quite legally. They thought I was going to have been a fugitive. They wouldn't have allowed me to cross the border at a, a gazetted, a designated crossing point. So that is totally untrue. And those supporters of the government like to know who they were because, you know, the way these people operate about that without having all the facts in front of them. Uh, I can assure you that all those the weapons that I have are licensed. So, Mr. President, if your lawyers are presented with official charges against you, will you be in court in Habaroni to defend yourself? Because as the Botswana Constitution states, you are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Of course, that is, that is in a formal country, which Botswana no longer is. The rule of law has been abandoned. We, you know about, and it will come out, they rigged elections. I told you the last time how they have perjured themselves, accusing me of having stolen 100 billion abula in our own currency, and that was thrown out of court as being totally fabricated. I've told you about the poisoning threats. I've told you about people that have been detained, even my own family and associates, being detained unlawfully, and it just goes on day in and day out. The corruption that is existing in the country by this man, because if you want to have someone in court, there is a procedure that is followed, which they haven't followed. 
but they didn't follow the procedures. They just blunder from one thing to the other. Their desperate desire to try and get me back into the country so they can carry out those intentions. And I'm not using that as an excuse. It's a fact. Who wants to live outside their own country? Who, why is it that I wasn't able to attend my sister's funeral recently? My sister uh, was an older sister. My parents are no longer alive. So having an older sister is the next best thing to having a mother. And someone who you're so close to dies and you're not able to attend the funeral. Don't be messing around, um, you know, not attending a funeral and helping her sons uh, do all the arrangements if I didn't think there was a credible threat against my life. That was former Botswana President Ian Kama. He was speaking from South Africa with VOS Peter Clotty. Republic of Congo President Dennis Sasungweso hosted his DRC counterpart Felix Antoine Tshekedi in an effort to ease the crisis between the DRC and Rwanda. Sasungweso says peace is critical for both countries and the continent as a whole since it faces several other major challenges. Rosie Pioth has the story from Brazzaville. With the tension between the DRC and Rwanda recently escalating, Sasungesu is asking for everyone involvement in calming the situation. Sasungesu spoke at a news conference last night at the end of a 48-hour visit by Chisekedi to Oyo in the north of the country. He says Africa has many challenges to meet and the continent cannot face them without a climate of peace and cooperation among nations. He called for peace between the two countries and asked the heads of states to use ways and mechanisms put in place for the resolution of this crisis by African Union. Chisekedi thanked Sasungeso for his involvement in resolving this crisis. He urged all parties to join the Nairobi peace process, which he called the last chance to build the future of peace in East Africa as well as in the east of the DRC. He invited Rwanda to become actively involved for the benefit of the entire Great Lakes region. For VOA Africa, Rosie Piot in Brazzaville. Debrick Africa continues. Uganda opposition leader retired Colonel Chiza Besige was on Monday released on a cash bail of 3 million Ugandan shillings or about $800. Besige, who had earlier been slapped with a bail of 30 million Uganda shillings or $8,000, said that he will continue to protest rising commodity prices. Reporter Mugume Davis Gwakarinji has more from Kampala. We shall just continue with the campaign that we had of getting everybody to wake up so that together we push back to gain our freedom, our rights, including economic rights that are now greatly uh, infringed. That was Uganda opposition politician Chiza Besije addressing journalists after being released from prison. Besije, who has contested for presidency four times, says it was unfair for the high court to ask him to pay $800 for bail as it would have set a bad precedent. Even the $3 million is still excessive. Bail is not supposed to be a punishment. It is only supposed to be what can ensure that you come back to court. My record speaks for itself. I have been out on bail on capital offenses. BSJ has on several occasions been thrown in jail for allegations of treason, possession of guns, 
rape and other crimes. He says the government should be frugal in the ways it spends taxpayers' money. We have made proposals. If tomorrow the government expenditure is shifted from those who take it for nothing to the people of Uganda, the conditions of our people will change. Our children who are at home and can't go to school can go back to school with the money we have as a country. Besje did not say when he resumed his protest. For VOA News, I am Mugume, Davis Ruakarinjini Kampala, Uganda. Participants at last weekend's Broadband Commission for Sustainable Development meeting in Rwanda charted a way forward with new partnerships that will help scale up investments needed to bridge the digital divide. Africa is striving to have resilient connectivity, affordable access, and online safety in order to catch up with the rest of the world and to boost its development. The results of Sunday's meeting will be discussed this week at the Telecommunications Development Conference, which started Monday and ends on June the 16th. From Kigali, Eugene Uwimana has more. Millions went to the hospitals, many millions. At the Chigar gathering, leaders and enthusiasts of IT information technology say Africa's long journey for development cannot succeed without connecting the unconnected. Rwandan President Paul Kagame is the co-chair of the Broadband Commission. We are still living in tough times, economically, politically, and in terms of global public health. The immediate future is full of uncertainties and risks. But one thing is sure, all of the challenges we face can be handled faster, better, and more equitably by investing in universal, affordable broadband. Kairos Slim Hello is the co-chair of the Broadband Commission meeting for sustainable development. He says the lack of internet connectivity in Africa was worsened by the COVID-19 pandemic, which led many services to move online. And people who didn't have access to the internet Mostly women and children lost access to basic human rights. Uh, and the experience of this, of this pandemic make us clear that we need to go for universal connectivity. Uh, many people was at the margin because they don't have the connectivity and the children cannot uh, have the lessons by, by the broadband, by internet. The children, the business was not done. The communication was, uh, has disappeared in, in many ways. In order to help poor countries catch up to a rapidly digitally developing world, the United Nations launched the GIGA initiative. It aims to provide internet connectivity to every school in the world by 2030. A pilot project started with 63 schools across the world, and President Pogame says Rwanda is one of the beneficiaries. As an example, Rwanda has already benefited from such a partnership efforts as a lead country in the GIGA initiative led by the ITU and UNICEF. The pilot project in the 63 schools has resulted in a quadrupling of capacity and a 55% reduction in costs. This shows there is an opportunity for us to link our work even more closely with parallel multilateral initiatives that will include uh, Smart Africa, 
The International Broadband Commission says the internet will become affordable when 1.5 gigabytes of mobile data cost no more than 2% of average daily income. According to the ITU, between 2020 and 2021, global internet connectivity grew by 17% and the COVID-19 pandemic was one of the major accelerators. Ejen Uimana for VOA News, Chigali, Rwanda. As Mozambique gears towards formulating a low-governing cyberspace, participants in a civil society webinar held last week offered guidance for the process. We have more on the story from Zimbabwe's second-largest city, Bulawayo. The International Senior Lawyers Project and the Mozambique chapter of the Media Institute of Southern Africa, OMISA, held a capacity-building session for civil society organizations. The meeting highlighted opportunities and challenges of cybersecurity and data protection legislation in the country. Various experts weighed in on the threat to human rights that newly enacted and proposed cybersecurity and data protection laws have had in neighboring countries. MISA is leading a coalition of civil society organizations working to provide strategic expertise on how to formulate laws regulating cyberspace. According to the Mozambique National Institute of Communications, between October 2021 and January 2022, there were 50,000 cases of scams and fraud in the telecommunications sector. Nompiles Manje is the legal and ICT officer for the Zimbabwe chapter of the Media Institute of Southern Africa. It was our perspective that as civil society, it's important to be involved in the process, particularly by advocating for key reforms that are centered on ensuring, firstly, that there's a human rights-centered approach to cybersecurity laws, but also that there should be independent authorities, uh, for example, cybersecurity centers or data protection authorities. There's a need to capacitate the parliamentarians because they are the ones who are the legislators and they are the ones who debate these laws in parliament but sometimes they don't have um, the technical know-how in terms of international standards and frameworks and best practices. Speakers also noted that authoritarian regimes in Africa have enacted cyber laws without adequate consultation and public education. They use the laws to silence critics and violate the right to freedom of expression in countries such as Zambia, Zimbabwe, Lesotho and Uganda. For example, in Kampala, authorities have used cybercrime legislation to harass opposition. The government can block certain social media platforms and have signed secret memoranda of understanding among government agencies to share information about internet users and published content. Government agencies have the power to order internet shutdowns and gather and share information about private citizens without due legal process. Participants of the webinar suggested the creation of independent regulatory authorities to handle cybersecurity laws. Viola Ajok Abaaroli is an official with the American Bar Association Rule of Law Initiative in East Africa. She wants Mozambique as it works to enact cyber laws. All the parties concerned should um, ensure that the laws are transparent, clear, and ambiguous. It's often used by people in power to arrest those who they feel like are opposing their power or a threat to power, especially in countries that don't have strong oversight legislation. For example, in Uganda, Cyber Crimes Act has been used to arrest Dr. Stella Nyanzi and Kakensa. Ajok Abaroli says the lack of public awareness of cyber laws is an area of concern. Observers say legislation in the region often lacks a human rights perspective. Richard Winfield is a legal expert with the International Senior Lawyers Project. 
My purpose was to warn Africans and those in Mozambique people specifically about the evils, the hazards of uh, cyber libel laws passed by legislatures. We do not have any objection to the, the work of legislatures to put an end to the evils in, in cyberspace, punish those cyber bullies and who use the internet to uh, extract money. Our concern is a narrow but important one, and that is freedom of expression. Conference participants agreed that Mozambique has a golden opportunity to enact reasonable cyber legislation that preserves human rights in the country. Reporting for VOA, this is Adi Gondo in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. The arrest in Zimbabwe of a journalist accused of criticizing the president on Twitter is seen by some as a harbinger of things to come. Columbus Mavonga reports for VOA News from the capital, Harare. Before his arrest Monday, Zimlive editor Mdudis Matutu had been in hiding for about two weeks. He got worried after unidentified people came to his home in the city of Bulawayo, saying police were looking for him. But Matutu, who spoke with VOA before his arrest, said at that time neither the police spokesperson nor the central police station appeared to know if he was wanted. So I called the police spokesperson, uh, Paul Nyati, he didn't know anything. I sent the lawyer to go to the central police station here and um, he was uh, uh, informed that uh, no one was looking for me. And so then it began this very mysterious uh, uh, situation where then we started fearing that uh, maybe perhaps uh, uh, the intentions of those people that came to the house were uh, not as good. And so we then filed a report uh, with the police for attempted abduction or kidnapping. Police later wrote to Matutu's lawyers saying they wanted to interview him. And when he was taken into custody Monday, he was told the case is linked to a tweet commenting on President Emerson Munangawa's appearance on national television. In that tweet, Matutu said the president got drunk before coming on TV. Jabulo Nguwe of the Zimbabwe National Editors Forum says the arrest is raising concerns of media harassment over political coverage. Cases of journalist arrests are common during an election season, said Nguwe. Zimbabwe is due to hold general elections in 2023. It's a, a hand of uh, things to come. It is actually following the footsteps of the late President Robert Mugabe. Nothing has changed. Journalism is being treated like a criminal activity. Journalism is not a crime. Mr. Matutu must be allowed to practice his journalism unhindered. Upon taking power in 2017, President Mnangagwa referred to some in Zimbabwe as ED after the initials of his first and middle names, he promised to improve the media landscape. But rights groups, including the Committee to Protect Journalists, have documented several cases of media workers detained or questioned in recent months for coverage of politics or local elections. In Matutu's case, the Media Institute of Southern Africa is providing legal assistance. The watchdog says... Those convicted of undermining the president can face up to a year in prison. 
Nompilos Manje from the watchdogs Zimbabwe branch says Matutu has come under pressure for his journalism, including during protests in 2020. Matutu has been in a situation with the police before when his home was ransacked um, sometime in 2020 and that uh, his nephew was also abducted um, over some accusations and uh, Mr Zimbabwe to intervene. So following his emergency call for support, Mr Zimbabwe deployed a lawyer. Zimbabwe authorities declined to comment on Matutu's case on Monday, saying they will only talk when the case is resolved. The journalist is due in court later this week. Columbus Mavunga for viewing news Arari. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are also on YouTube where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. Until next time.